Hi, folks. We are so glad that you're listening to Our Body Politic. If you haven't yet, remember to follow this podcast on your podcatcher of choice like Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. And if you have time, please leave us a review. It helps other listeners find us and we read them for your feedback. You can also reach out to us on Instagram and Twitter at Our Body Politic. We are here for you, with you, and because of you. So keep letting us know what's on your mind. We'd also love for you to join in financially supporting the show if you are able. You can find out more at ourbodypolitik.com slash donate. Thanks for listening. This is Our Body Politic. I'm creator and host Farai Chidea. There's so much pressure from celebrities, beauty brands, and pop culture about how our bodies should look. So when it comes to fitness, how can we cultivate joy and wellness in our bodies? I talk with two incredible guests who help clients connect the dots between physical health and mental health and how to stay committed to both. First, I'll talk to each guest on her own about how her personal journey of loss and reflection got her to where she is today. Then we'll bring them together in our roundtable to explore how they're building their communities and businesses and the challenges they see their clients facing. Plus, they'll answer questions from you, our listeners. To kick us off, I'm joined by Dion C. Monsanto, Chief Joy Connector and founder of Joyous Ocean, which aims to connect people to their joy. She's also a passionate mental health advocate. We'll be talking about suicide, so please take care of yourself. Welcome to the show, Dion. Thank you so much, Farai. I'm excited to be here. You have so much complexity. You have this girlishness. You have, like, the sage sister elderhood. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about how you became who you are and made a turn into fitness. Thank you. I love that identification with complexity because I see it. I often tell people that I am 56 going on six. So I really do feel like a six-year-old in my body and in my life and even in the business. And I think a lot of the transformation of moving from financial services into fitness really came through tragic loss, you know, cutting right to the chase. I didn't see myself leaving financial services and then life hit and my daughter died by her own hand by suicide And then I could not imagine staying in financial services. I had been Hmm. so deeply changed and transformed that I couldn't live in the way that I was living before and really wanted to take hold of what was left of my years and my life and really passionately, aggressively, actively living a life that I had not lived before. And yoga was something that kept me relatively sane while I was going through so much trauma. There were court cases, there was sexual violence. There were so many things that had happened to my poor baby before she died at 15. And I'd gained a good 80 pounds trying to deal with the weight of it all while I was in corporate Mm -hmm. America. And I just didn't feel like myself. And I wanted to get back to me. And we've talked about your daughter, Siwei. So tell me about who she was as an individual and what you honor when you honor her, which you do on a regular basis. Thank you for that. I love talking about Seaway. She was an amazing human from conception until death. Her due date was March 8th, 
which is International Working Women's Day. And she came exactly on that day. So I should have been mm. letting me know from before she got here, she was intentional and brilliant child. She had finished a children's book. She played violin, cello. She danced. She was on scholarship with Ailey. She was tutoring people in math at seven. So just an amazing human yeah. and fun to be around until she was crying mm-hmm. for 45 minutes at a time. You kind of didn't know what was going to show up on any given day. And her bouts with tears, what I later found out was depression and anxiety disorder started when she was in kindergarten. And I would even ask the teacher, Mm. like, does she cry at school? Because she cries a lot at home. I don't understand what's happening. Mm. So what do you do now to give back? Because you are someone who gives and in the mental health space as well as the physical health space. Thank you. I... I have been volunteering with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention since a couple of years before she passed. So since 2009, I was a volunteer. I am currently on a national committee on diversity, equity, inclusion, as well as do a lot of public speaking around mental health advocacy, and particularly in the Black community. Because when my daughter died and I looked to my right and my left and people are whispering about mental health challenges, it's like, I know I'm not alone. I know my family is dealing with things that every other family is dealing with. So much to my family's chagrin, I took the position that I was going to talk about it and allow other people to talk about it. And as I was learning, there still is so much shame associated with having any mental health diagnosis and getting help for that. And I wanted to normalize it in the Black community and be able to tell my story. Because as I traveled the world in certain countries, if somebody dies by suicide or they have a mental health diagnosis, they're embarrassed by them and they don't talk about them anymore. It's as though they're erased from history. And I couldn't bear to have my daughter's life, her 15 years, erased. So I do talk about it a lot, letting people know there is help available. And there's nothing wrong if you need medication long-term, short-term, if you're getting support. I'm not currently seeing a therapist, but even saying that, at that point in time, 12 years ago, people still looked at you a little funny. Now it does seem to be more of a commonplace conversation And helping people understand signs to look for than just talking to bring this out of the darkness and understanding that certain memories and trauma get stuck in your body. So you need to move your body to help heal your body. Yeah, that's really what you have done. Like you were your first, I want to say patient, but that's not really the right. Yeah, it was my first healer. Yeah. Yeah, you healed yourself first. So what did you do to take that mind-body connection that had been so stressed by your daughter's death and begin to reshape yourself physically as well as mentally? The big thing for me in getting to, you know, what I'd like to say is my right-sized body and right-sized life was just taking stock of what was important to me and what I needed. I'd been an onstage performer, a dancer for many years. And As I was dealing with the trauma of various things in my daughter's life and her mental health care and changing paradigms within our healthcare system and insurance, there was this constant battle with what is there for me? And the biggest step Mm. was carving out time for my daily yoga practice. I was physically going to a studio and really noticing like, wow, I feel so much better 
when I get off of my mat. And I still say it often, six by two, that yoga mat was my magic carpet. It was a safe space for me to leave whatever was going on. And quite often there were a lot of tears shed on my mat. So it was a lot of unearthing Mm -hmm. and releasing and reconnecting to myself. What made me happy? How did I heal my sadness? What are the songs that brought me joy? What are the places and people that bring me joy? And and letting go of things that didn't. It was a challenge Mm -hmm. to decide to leave financial services, but financial challenge. Emotionally, I knew it was the right thing to do. And it was really scary, but I couldn't live in that way anymore. So taking time for myself was a really big first step. And as, you know, Black female and a mom, single parent, been trained that you don't do that. Your life is for others. Your life is for the kids, for the job. You take care of everything else. You pour out your cup and you get the scraps that are left over. So I essentially started putting myself first. Yeah, I have struggled with that. Does putting yourself first mean treating yourself like I'm going to have a Sunday that I know will give me all sorts of gastrointestinal distress, but I'm going to have it because I want it? Or is treating yourself going for that walk? And I know that you're someone who preaches about that a lot. You know, how do you deal with your impulses? You know, that's such a good question. I I still balance it and it's still a daily conversation with myself on what's going to make me feel better. Real talk. This past weekend, I was away and I'm at this fabulous retreat and my body has decided I'm gluten-free, which means if I consume Mm. gluten, I have these rashes. But even though I knew that, I had a piece of bread. And the next day, there's this rash on my neck and I'm like, oh. (laughs) So sometimes (laughs) I do it well and sometimes I don't. But the thing is the recovery. Like if you're running a race and we're all running this race in life, We're going to all get to the same finish line. Ultimately, I'm going to stumble and fall and giving myself grace to get back up and knowing what I need to get back up is more water, more movement, more fun, Mm -hmm. doing the work, but making it fun work. So it's a lot of conversations with myself and I love snacks and finding the healthier snacks. Nuts won't bother me. Water, kombucha, the gluten-free cookie, that's honey sweetened and just feeling it out. Mm. The anniversary of my daughter's death, June, I'm generally not good. I allow myself that Mm. I'm not going to have any discipline around this anniversary because I'm going to have the comfort foods and allow that. And then I kind of come back into myself in July, but giving myself grace and not being harsh going, you know what? I'm human and it happens and I'll balance it out but not deprivation. Do you ever feel shamed for being joyful? Because I think sometimes people, they cut eyes like, what do they have to laugh about? Now, that's funny you say that. I also learned early on that my joy is something worth stealing because people would, they poke at you to try to make you unhappy. And I do get shamed for that. Like even a friend of mine said to me, I'm so sick of her happy behind. Like she's always around here running and laughing. And I was like, it's a choice that I've made. During yoga teacher training, we had long days. Like some days they were 20-hour days with two 90-minute classes and 105-degree heat, you know, Bikram yoga. And people were like, how are you happy? Now, my daughter had already passed. And I said, you know what? 
if the worst thing about my day is that I'm really hot and I'm around a bunch of strangers and I'm cooking in a hotel room, it's still a great day. I'm not trying Mm -hmm. to keep anybody alive. It's a shift in perspective of, oh my God, things could be so much worse. And inviting gratitude. I'm thankful for this opportunity to do this. I didn't know a whole lot of black yoga teachers. I didn't know a, a lot of moms that danced and were in financial services. Like all of these experiences, as challenging as they are, like I get to forge a new path and I'm going to find a way to enjoy whatever I'm doing. Dion, you released your book in 2022. You actually published it on the day of your daughter Seaway's birth. And I was lucky enough to write the foreword. So the title is 101 Ways to Live Life in Joy, which is spelled I-N-J-O-Y rather than E-N-J-O-Y. So what's the meaning behind the title? Thank you for that. There are so many paths to joy, and I'm always hoping that things will be direct, but they're quite often bumpy. And the spelling in joy came from a quote that just blew my mind. It was a Joseph Campbell quote, and it was participate joyfully in the sorrows of the world. We cannot cure the world Mm. of sorrows, but we can choose to live in joy. So those last few words, we can choose to live in joy, really got me. And it felt like, yes, joy can be a completely immersive experience that It can be the adverb, as I say, that modifies my life. I'm going to look at the lens. And even in the horrific sadness of my daughter's passing, you know, some years later to look at, I'm thankful. I can experience the memories joyfully. I had 15 Mm -hmm. amazing years with her of being fully present and captivated by her wisdom, by her lessons. You know, being a parent, you learn. And I'm still learning from my sons, but I had that. So it's been a lifelong goal Mm -hmm. of mine to be happy. And this quote seems like it gave me full permission to jump into a pool of joy and creating my life as that pool. I hope that makes sense. Oh, it it very much does. Since I'm 53 years old, I'm turning to the section, uh, the little chapter 53. And you have this quote from Paulo Coelho. Mm There is only one thing that makes a dream impossible to achieve, the fear of failure. Yeah. What does that call up for you? For me, it's always thinking about just trying and the playfulness of children. It's like the knowing that I don't know what I'll be able to do, but I'm just going to do it. I feel like I'm a slow starter and I need support for completion. But I'm like, you know, if the book flopped and I only sold 10 copies, I feel good that I did it. But it was a bestseller, self-published on Amazon and still getting such rave reviews about it. But for me, it's like, I'm only failing if I don't try, is what I tell Mm -hmm. myself. If I don't try, that's when I failed. So I'm like, I'm going to try. And I am scared a lot. I have a sticker on the wall that says scared, but doing it anyway. And always leaning into that going, okay, there's going to be something good on the other side of this the people I met along the way, the learnings that I've had, and even inspiring other people to publish. I know so many people that had written their books already, but hadn't published them. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to give it a try. Mm -hmm. And creating this playfulness around it helps me to lean in because I think I fail a lot, Mm -hmm. but I learn. So is it really failure? Yeah, exactly. And sometimes 
you know, a failure is just a delay. And I'm hoping that that is part of my fitness journey. I could talk to you all day. Dion Monsanto, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Farai. This has been a pleasure. That was Dion C. Monsanto, Chief Joy Connector and founder of the wellness firm Joyous Ocean. We'll hear from her again a little later on the show in our roundtable. We turn next to another woman making waves in health and fitness. Renata Joy is the founder of Pure Joy Wellness, a lifestyle brand devoted to helping women take charge of their health. Renata spent years as an Emmy-nominated TV producer, but she pivoted her career to a lifelong love, wellness. Now her mission is to help give women the tools they need to live healthier lifestyles, no matter their age or schedule. Thanks for joining us, Renata. Thank you for having me, Farai. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, likewise. It's it's good to see you, and you're someone who inspires me with your practice. Um, but let's start with your origin story. So tell me about the house and the family you grew up in. I grew up in a family where I like to say, if you ever saw the movie The Sixth Sense, and they said, I see dead people, I saw sick people. Uh, mm. My mom had polio when she was younger, learned how to walk again, but she had arthritis really badly and she died of ovarian cancer. My father was on dialysis oh forever, had kidney failure. I have a brother who died of congestive heart failure and a brother who passed away of lung cancer. Now, what I noticed during those times when oh. I was younger is I drew a line from their lifestyle to their illnesses. Now, how I knew that at three years old, I have absolutely mm -hmm. no idea, but I decided I was going to live the opposite of the way that they lived. So mm -hmm. I only ate fruits and vegetables. I moved as much as I could. And although I went on a career of television, I still lived that lifestyle when I was in television. Wow. It's amazing. Like the television business is such a pressure cooker. So you were able to just kind of hold space for yourself. Well, my schedule was like, I'd get up at four o'clock in the morning, go into the office at six. I'd go to the gym. I'd go home, take a shower, make my food, come back to the office and then do my day. Um, wow. When I left television to start Pure Joy Wellness, like no one was surprised. <laughs> I was working at The View at the time. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I got this lovely note from Barbara Walters saying, we're sad to see you go, but we understand that this is your passion. This is what you do. And you need to put that out to the world. So that's how oh, I that's, started. That's beautiful. But what, you know, what was the thought process right before you decided to quit? Was there a moment where you, you had that aha? What I learned about television was I felt like you are working all the time and mm -hmm. television at that time, if they had been like the tech industry, like if you go into Google, they have a cafeteria, they have a gym, they have, they make sure that their employees are going to be there all the time. Okay. Well, we, yeah. we got daycare. We got, we make sure that you have breaks so you can television wasn't like that. And I felt mm -hmm. like television was a very, very unhealthy business. It was highly stressed. Um, you got hardly any sleep. One of the times I was watching the daytime Emmy Awards and the Dr. Oz show was on and they had one for best informational talk show. And so mm -hmm. everybody's applauding and they walk up on the stage and I'm looking at the producers. Now, Dr. Oz show is supposed to be about 
these were the most unhealthiest people I have oh, ever no. seen. And I'm, that like, is, and I'm like, that is ironic. There's a disconnect because you're, you know, yeah. and so I said, I really want to get out and I want to teach women the importance of taking care of yourself because women of my generation did not learn that. Like we didn't play sports and, you know, we, we had home economics, you know, we learned how to, <laughs> how to, how the best way to wash dishes. You know, we learned how to sew a skirt, you know, <laughs> but we weren't learning how to take care of ourselves. We were groomed to be housewives. As you're talking, I mean, it is fascinating to think about the changes um, in society. And even though women have more freedom in some ways. We are also losing ground in others. And I think that the stress of the era is really dragging down people's health. How do you see, you know, what are your tips on how to deal with stress as part of dealing with your mind-body wellness? I always say to women in terms of stress, one, pay attention to your breathing right? Mm. When you are stressed, what happens is your body starts creating a lot of cortisone and all these things. If you take a deep breath in and do a slow exhale, it'll start calming your your system down. I also believe walking. Walking is so mm-hmm. amazing. Getting out in fresh air will help de-stress you. I work with a lot of women who are over 50, who have high-powered careers, Mm-hmm. They're traveling all the time. They're trying to juggle family. They're trying to, you know, juggle being a spouse, their their kids, all of that, and keep this high-powered career. So it's f- extremely stressful. I like to take a moment for myself. I like to say, I close my bathroom door. I put a mm-hmm. sign on there, do not disturb. And for that moment, I take, remember that, what was it? Calgon, take me away. Yes, Calgon, take okay. me away. Yeah. <laughs> I love baths. I love those kind of, I get in a bath and just take that moment for yourself. I think you have to carve out some time for you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I actually have um, a funny assignment for my therapist. So I just got a new therapist, which is all part of the mind-body stuff. And she was like, I want you to take an hour and just be. Like your yeah. assignment is to not do anything, plan anything, achieve anything, you know, and how hard, just and be. How, how hard is that for you? Oh, that's going to be that. I haven't even attempted it yet. You know, yeah, and, 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 <laughs> I might not last five minutes. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's crucially important. You know what it does? It, it gets you in touch with yourself. It gets you in touch with what you want. It's hard for people to just sit in it. I tell people mm-hmm. when you're going through a heart, just sit in it, feel what's happening, feel the emotions roll over you. Most of the time we want to run away from it and it's hard to sit in it. So I, I agree with your therapist, taking an hour and just do nothing and see what comes up. And definitely for me, like I love, I love outdoor sports. I do work out in a gym as well. And you know, sometimes it does seem Sisyphean, but thinking about you stepping away from this TV career, TV is also a very image-based business, you know, so a lot of people end up, frankly, developing eating disorders or, you know, body dysmorphia, not just women, but, you know, the men of TV, some of them now too. But I have to read you this quote, So hopefully this wasn't what your workplace was like, and I worked in TV pretty briefly, but this is a Hunter S. Thompson quote. 
The TV business is uglier than most things. It is normally perceived as some kind of cruel and shallow money trench through the heart of the journalism industry, a long plastic hallway where thieves and pimps run free and good men die like dogs for no good reason. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Um, it's funny. I used to produce E. Jean Carroll, and she was Hunter Thompson's biographer. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't uh, realize yeah, that. Yeah, I, I did. Um as a matter of fact, that was the reason I came to New York to work on uh, America's Talking, which was, uh, which is now MSNBC, um, and I was E. Jean yes. Carroll's producer on Ask E. Jean. So nothing going on in E. Jean Carroll's life, is there? No, but I think that was going on during the time we were producing that show. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, she has made an incredible journey. I mean, are you surprised knowing? You know, since you knew her years ago, are you surprised that she she went to this length to go through the justice system? No, I'm not. I think one of the things that, that I knew about her or know about her is, you know, she took her job and what she did very seriously. And she worked really, really hard to climb that ladder to get where she was and to have somebody come out and, you know, and bash you and tell you that you're a liar and then lose your job yeah. because of it. Mm-hmm. You know, her main thing was to get her reputation back absolutely, and for people to, to understand that she was not a liar. And if she's going to, you know, make him accountable at the same time, you know, more power to that. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, you know, powerful women sometimes do have to deal with reputational assaults. You know, there's whisper campaigns. It's a way of knocking us down, right? Mm-hmm. I was very thrilled to see her standing up for herself and for a lot of other women to show them the way. You know, at, at 79 years old, you know, mm-hmm. she's still out there fighting the fight. And mm-hmm. um, I, I think that has a lot to say about women, the power you uh, get as you get older. And to spin back to I, I look at her and I'm like, wow, she, she maintained, she took care of herself. You mm-hmm. know, she's powerful. She's exerting her power, not just for her, but as an example for other women to follow. And so I applaud her for that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's certainly been a wild season in politics and life, but I do feel like our country is in a very tight spot right now, you know, in terms of the decreasing life expectancy and all of the health stressors of the pandemic that still uh, are with us. Many people developed anxiety disorders during the pandemic, which then affects your ability to take care of yourself. And so as we we wrap up here, we're going to have you back for a roundtable. But how do you think we kind of rebuild after a very tumultuous time in society? Well, you know what struck me about the pandemic and when I was hearing the cases that the majority of people that were dying were African-Americans that had pre-existing conditions. Mm-hmm. And what struck me really hard about that was I was like, that was my family. If my family mm-hmm. were not already deceased, they would have been um, a tragedy mm-hmm. of, of COVID. I think that it's crucially important at this point in time for people to do a check-in on their mental health. Mm-hmm. Like check-in, you know, what did COVID and being isolated, what has that done for you? Um, What did it do to you? And kind of take a mental check on what those things are. And to slowly, if you haven't started getting out and moving, to slowly start doing that. I started during the pandemic a walking challenge. 
Oh, that's great. And what the walking challenge was, is all I wanted women to do was to walk for 30 minutes, 30 days straight. That's it. Oh, wow. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. people are going to go, that, that, you know, what is she talking about? But I needed something that people could socially distance. They could get outside. Mm-hmm. They could do it by themselves, but with a community of other women. So what I had them do is I had them prove that they walked. They had to post. They had to post videos. They had to post photos. They had, And then they started communicating with each other. And all mm. of a sudden, I was like, wow, I started seeing the landscape of the country. And what struck me during that time is because I'm in New York City. So walking, New York City is a walking city. I walk everywhere. Yeah. I was hearing from women like in Chicago that couldn't walk half a block. Mm. Um, that couldn't climb stairs, that couldn't. um, And so something that I took for granted because I've been moving my entire life, I realized that there was an enormous women across the country that that wasn't their thing. Mm -hmm. And so the walking challenge has grown. Now it's international and women are walking from Iceland and they're walking from the UK and they're walking... um, but just that little thing of of getting out every day and just walking. Yeah. If people yeah. start with just that, not only does it help you physically, but it also clears your mind. And any it does indeed. And anyone can do it. Yeah, I love my outdoors. Um I love a good city walk, but there's nothing to me like walking in a forest. Right. Yeah. I agree. But during COVID, you know, it was like, you got to go where you got to go. But that's what Absolutely. I would say, have people get out and just start, just start walking. Yeah. Get in nature. I love it, Renata. Many good things that I have learned from you about fitness and how to center ourselves as we get older and, and uh, as we grow into our power. So Renata, thanks so much. Thank you, Faraya. I enjoyed being here. That was Renata Joy, entrepreneur and founder of Pure Joy Wellness. This is Our Body Politic. I'm Farai Chidea. Each week on the show, we bring you a roundtable called Sippin' the Political Tea. Joining me this week is Renata Joy, founder of Pure Joy Wellness. Welcome, Renata. Hi, Farai. How are you? I'm good. It's really good to see you. And we've also got Dion C. Monsanto, chief joy connector and founder of Joyous Ocean. Hey, Dion. Hey there. Good to see you and good to meet you, Renata. Oh, nice to meet yes. you too, Dion. I have a very loving, but still sometimes um, aspirational, desperational. Is desperational a word? Because it needs to be. Sometimes my attitude about my fitness is desperational, sisters. It it can be. It can be. I agree with Renata. (laughs) Because both of you are some of the most, you know, intense, accomplished women, and I've worked with both of you, and somehow I'm still not Halle Berry, um, you know. <laughs> but you know what, Farai? You're not supposed to be Halle Berry. You're supposed to be I Farai. Know, That's right. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, we've talked to both of you about your careers, and you are some of the most amazing uh fitness professionals and mind-body healers around. And yet sometimes I do feel desperational because I just haven't achieved what I think my body is meant to be. And sometimes it's hard to keep the faith. So especially for women in 
their 50s and 60s, how do you keep refocusing on physical health? Well, for me, I am going to be 67 this year. So, um, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I find that for me, it has to be a priority. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of times when I'm working with women, they're in desperation too. <laughs> and it's like they're chasing their tail. They're going round and round and thinking that it's a lot more complicated than it actually is. So what mm-hmm. I have found is I find the things that I absolutely love to do. Like for me, I love to jump rope. And mm. the reason I like to jump rope is because it reminds me of the joy I had and the laughter I had with my friends when I was a kid. And so I don't ever want to forget what that feels like. So what I like to tell my clients, find that thing that you love, that it doesn't feel like exercise and do that. If you find the thing that you really love, you'll have more tendency to do that than trying to fit into a box of what you think you're supposed to do. I 100% agree with that. I love that, Renata. And what's funny is I just spent some time jumping rope with friends over the weekend. (laughs) And uh, we go right back into teenage mode. I was like, oh, the weight of this rope, it's not heavy enough. We're going to have to figure this out. If we're going to do double jumps, are we jumping in? And and it was so much fun. So absolutely connected to that joy. Yeah. And I'm 56, so I I get it. You look amazing. Yeah, both of you are... Yeah, both of you you look completely amazing, you know, like fantastic skin. And um, I know that that's not just from sweating it out. What do you put in your body to achieve the results you want with your body? I'll start with you, Dion. I like to say I'm a flexitarian. I'm not really stringent about things. I'm mostly vegan. I will have occasional eggs, um, maybe ghee. But that's something that felt good for me. I was a raw foodist at one point in time, and I love food prep, but just noticing how my body responds to certain things. So I tend not to have a lot of white product. I mean, if I go out and what they have is white rice, I'll have white rice. If I'm going somewhere and it's fresh caught fish, I'm comfortable with having fish. So I really say I'm flexible, but at home, it's mostly gluten-free, soy-free, vegan And I do a lot of my own food prep. I love green juices and wheatgrass. And yeah, I'm kind of a little black hippie. I love it. And the things that I choose to eat, quinoa and greens and lots of fun with flavor, lots of fun spices, um, still very Caribbean, lots of plantains, whether they're green or black, whether it's the sweet or boiled banana, whichever one, but lots of fun in the kitchen. Yeah, and I've had your food and it's delicious. And Renata, what about you? What do you put in your body? <laughs> um, well, I always start my morning out with um, hot lemon water um, mm. because I think it's really important to start off with hydration. Hydration is really important. And I find that most people are not hydrated enough. I am of the theory because so many people have so many different kind of eating habits that the less ingredients it has, the better it is for you. And if it was Mm -hmm. made in a plant, probably not so good. If it's made from a plant, it's probably really (laughs) good for you. So that's been my philosophy. So when I'm working with people, I always say, if you live by the 80%, 20% rule, Mm -hmm. 80% of the time, I'm on point. Then that 20% of the time, say you have to go to an event 
coworkers. Say you got to go to a birthday party and there's the cake and all that. Then enjoy it. I say, if you're going to have it, savor that moment, enjoy that cake. And then the other 80% of the time, make sure that you're eating things the less ingredient has for you, the better it is for you. An apple is only an apple. Rice is only rice. It's when we get caught up with all those additives and additional things where we get caught up. So I think that's the philosophy that I live by. Yeah. I love that. And I echo that with you too, starting with water. Yes. Dion, you got on me about water and some days are better than others. My sister girl, Marie, gave me a huge canteen, like the size of a boom box to carry around. So I don't know. I think it's 64 ounces or something. I think the other thing that's really important, especially as we get older, I find is fiber. Like fiber is crucially Mm. important because I myself, being 67 and trying to maintain and make sure my hormones are in balance and all of that fiber plays a crucial role. Your gut health has to do with everything. Yeah. And, you know, for both of you, you operate on so many levels. You're businesswomen, you're influencers. You know, we had a, a little gathering, Our Body Politic hosted a lunch for some women, and we asked them, What is the future like 15 years from now, and what have you done to influence that future? If you think about your work with all of its different layers of business and mind-body wellness, how do you think you're affecting the future? I think I'm affecting the future by getting women to understand the importance of movement and why it's important. And a lot of people will say to me, oh, well, you know, I want to move because I want to get around booty or I want to move <laughs> because I want six-pack abs. So here's my philosophy. They ask, why do I move? Why do I move? And I'm 67 years old. And I want women to really understand this. You're moving because you want to be able to carry your groceries. You're moving because you want to be able to lift your luggage up and put it in the overhead bin. You're moving because Mm -hmm. you want to be able to sit down and stand up without assistance. You want to be able to walk without having to use a cane. You want to be able to climb a flight of stairs. You want to be able to function in life so that your quality of life is not hampered. And so when you're thinking about the way that you're eating, you're thinking about the way that you're moving, think big picture. Big picture is as I age, I want to still be able to function. And if you do that, the mm-hmm. the round booty and the, all that stuff will probably come along, but that's not the focus. So I want women not to focus on the aesthetics of how I look, but on how is my body functioning. And that's the message I like to give women. I love that. Yeah. Dion, what about you? Um, I echo what she says. That's not something that I have said verbatim to my clients, but the feeling of less about how you look, but more about how you feel. For me, it's about you're moving your body because your brain is a part of your body. And if you want your life to feel good and you want to feel empowered in your body, you need to move it. If you have a Ferrari, you wouldn't leave it sitting parked in front of your house for a year. You would move it. You would drive it. You have to run this phenomenal vehicle that you've been gifted for Mm -hmm. it to be an optimal health for years to come. 
And whatever that looks like for you, how you're eating, how you're walking and how you're living. And when you have that integration of I'm taking care of my body as my home, hopefully for upwards of 90 years in good health and the way you treat it is going to make all the difference in how it looks and feels. You will be healthier, happier, and wealthier. You know, your health is your wealth and above and beyond your finances. Mm-hmm. I agree with you, Dion. I always say too, our bodies are talking to us all the time. Pay, yep. pay attention when you eat a certain food and your body feels bloated or you feel uncomfortable. Um, pay attention to that because your body's telling you something. Um, when you're under stress, and the first thing that you do is you grab for something sweet or something. Pay attention to what your body's saying. Mm-hmm. Our bodies are talking to us all the time. They're telling us what we need all the time. We just have to start paying attention to her. I love She's that. She's talking yes. to us all the time. I think that, you know, for me, managing anxiety, like I am a pretty classic food addict and I use food to manage anxiety and I can resist it. But sometimes the call is strong, you know, and Dion, you've talked about that in your newsletter, the call of the chip aisle or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like the food calls you from the refrigerator, so you just can't have it there. But that call and it could be something to what Renata said, the body talking to you, does it need comfort? Does it need companionship? Does it need to be soothed? Sometimes we're filling an emotional void with a physical mm-hmm. food or substance. Mm-hmm. So you, oh, absolutely. And looking and how can you get that other thing? So that for me might be like, I need to find a sister friend to commune with. And it could be a walk with them. Yep. It could be a coffee, tea, just just a kiki. You know, just having some sort of kiki yeah. with somebody <laughs> will give me that warm, fuzzy feeling instead of chewing on it and then being upset about how I look and feel later because my body does respond differently to certain food and different things that I consume. So I try to choose carefully because I don't want that feeling after mm-hmm. if it's oh, something yeah. that I Absolutely. that doesn't agree with my body. I want to talk about the business of fitness, but before we do, I wanted to bring up something that I saw in the news that was really stunning. Um, It is a story in the Washington Post that said that Black communities endured wave of excess death in past two decades, studies find. Uh, 1.6 million excess deaths. And some of them have been in my family. My grandmother died of medical negligence. It's hard for Black women, especially as we age, I think, to access um, providers that value um, Black elders. So how do you deal, you know, you have very specific fitness and wellness practices in terms of your businesses, but how do you look at the big chessboard of what's going on, the trauma in the Black community in particular, but decreasing life expectancy overall? That's a big one. I would say for me, there's a lot in conversation about the intersectionality for it, because as, you know, as Black women And then even looking at Black maternal morbidity and what that is and those numbers being higher. So there's a a different level of work ethic we're putting into it to get different results because it's like you're leaning into the wind, knowing it's pushing back Mm. to see how that can support some of the transformation and changes that you make. And even in the mental health advocacy space, you know, the numbers for us as a people, uh, women, Black women, 
are stacked higher. And it's a conversation you have to see like how much you're going to lean into it to change the numbers for your specific line, for your family, for your body, and how you, you know, the individual, myself and the clients can be the change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the reasons why I'm doing what I do is because I grew up in a family where everybody was sick. I thought to myself as a child, there's something really wrong with this. I think one of the things that's crucially important is as a community, we've sort of sat back and looked for someone else to lead the way for us. Instead, we have to be in control of our own health. I was Mm -hmm. astonished when Michelle Obama was first lady. And the first thing she did is she wanted to start that garden for for kids. And if you notice what they did, they squashed it. And I'm like, why are they squashing it? Because the food industry doesn't want (laughs) them talking about food. Okay. I go to a lot of different communities in what I do. And what I've noticed in minority communities, there are more fast food restaurants. Oh, absolutely. There are more liquor stores, and I'm not talking about gourmet wine shops. I'm talking about <laughs> hardcore liquor stores. But when yeah. I go to more fluent areas, there's you don't see um, fast food places very often, and you see gourmet wine shops and things like that. So I think there needs to be an educational component that we as African-American women that are in the health and fitness industry, we need to start educating our communities, and particularly the women, because I think if you educate the women, it trickle down to the family. There are food deserts out there. If yeah. I go up to Harlem and you're saying to, you know, a group of black kids, okay, you got to eat healthy. Well, if an, if produce costs, like if apples cost like two fifty nine dollars a pound, and you're trying to feed a family of four, but hamburger helper is four for a dollar, which one are they going to choose? So there's a lot of economic disparity that's happening, but I think education is really key. And as we get older, you have to have an advocate for you in the hospital systems. I just recently yes. lost my partner a year ago. And oh, I was I'm so sorry. Thank you. I was appalled at our medical system and mm-hmm. how they treat people who they don't think have an advocate for them. They will let them die they will let them die. So I think we have to start educating our own communities on on what to do and find advocates for our elderly. Yeah. I've been an advocate for both friends and relatives, and I've had friends and relatives be an advocate for me. And I think um, also as someone who has mainly been single in my adulthood, my single female friends, we really do take care of each other in terms of like if somebody has a medical procedure or just, you know, needs some connection. One thing that strikes me is that there's this huge beauty industry. And I would assume that like any industry, Black women are undercapitalized. How do you look at the business side, uh, the equity side of what you do in the fitness space and whether Black women in the fitness space are, are getting investment or support? Most of my investment has been from clients. We, as consumers, are looking for ourselves. So I'm looking for a Renata Joy. I'm looking for a Dion. I definitely saw that when I first became a yoga teacher. The students of color, uh, whether it was the the dark-skinned Dominican woman 
or a black female, someone coming to me going, oh my God, seeing you there makes such a big difference to me. And then the studio's advertising that these people are working there. So you can understand and have a lot of the conversations in regards to what Renata just said. What is your food source? How are you sourcing your food? How are you preparing your food and getting that balance for yourself as well as your clients? So they're seeing you and referring you to other people to expand your knowledge base and expand your offerings, whether they're online or in person. Mm -hmm. And Renata, what do you think about the business side? I think the business side in general for minorities, it's harder to get funding. Um, You have to prove twice as much in order to get funding. So again, I go back to, we have to, as a community, as a group, start funding each other. I mm-hmm. think we have to stop looking outside and look within ourselves and become angel investors. And if, like, if I see a small business that's run by a black company and I believe in that company, you know, put my money there and help them out. Absolutely. So we asked some of our listeners about aging and exercise, and they came back with some interesting questions and responses. So we said, uh, what's most important in your exercise journey? 53% said mobility. So that really gets to what you were saying, Renata, about preserving range of flexibility and ability to do daily tasks. 20% said appearance. What kind of messages do you think that people are getting about uh, wellness and how to balance the like appearance focus and the functional fitness focus? I think on social media, it's all about the way somebody looks. Mm-hmm. And that's the message that's out there. So if I'm looking at, you know, here's this uh, woman and she's in her 50s and the whole focus on, look, I look this way. The message that you're getting, I believe, is that if you don't look this way, somehow you are failing. Mm-hmm. Very few people do I see on social media are focusing on the importance of actually exercising um, and eating that doesn't have anything to do with the way that you look. So I would say we got to flip that. Again, your quality of life is more important. And so I advocate very highly for that and not compare yourself to what you see on social media. That's a big one. They're also offering the the commercialization of your body in that, oh, don't worry. If you don't look like that, we can sell you a procedure to help you look like that. So people are really going hard on how they can um, change their body through surgeries. And that's become normalized. Like you're stopping in a 7-Eleven to do something to your stomach, your breasts, or your butt. I have friends who've had plastic surgery for reasons that totally made sense for them, and it has worked out. And then I have friends where it hasn't worked out. And there's just a range of outcomes. So we all make our choices. And I think as I talk to you two, who I really admire about fitness, I have a sense of shame sometimes that I'm not more kind of on the straight and narrow. Like it's like, I'm on the salmon and broccoli track. Oh, geez, cheese, cheese is over here. <laughs> you know? I will cross a, a 12 lane highway to get to some cheese, man. You know? <laughs> But you know what? When you're on the salmon and broccoli (laughs) phase and you think that's where you're supposed to be, that's where you mentally get caught up, right? Because I'm supposed to be, but I don't really like salmon and broccoli. I do love salmon and broccoli, but I I also love love cheese. cheese. (laughs) 
<laughs> anyway, let me let me get to another question, Dion. Um, one of our listeners asked about menopause. How does menopause affect your mind-body needs and any advice? I know for me, I noticed a big difference in my skin. Like my body needed different things. There, It felt different. It moved differently. I do have great mobility, but just being more gentle with myself and needing more sleep. And maybe I'm not going to do the same long workout I did. So really listening to my body as it spoke to me to have different things in drinking more water. I'm big on whole food and what I consume, but I also have supplements and listening to that. I did not need um, hormone support, you know, during menopause, but I know that was game-changing for others. I was using evening primrose oil even before menopause, and that was something that helped uh, even with my daughter and her cycles when her cycles were challenging. So it's keeping it up and knowing that your 16-year-old body and your 56-year-old body are different, and they need different things and not forcing it to be something it's not. So a lot of listening And continuing the movement is where I am with it. And I'm okay. I keep a fan with me for the hot sweats, for the flashes when I have them. Change the sheets, not making my body wrong. Just embracing it and going, Mm. this is a sage. I'm moving into this sage part of crone part of life and appreciating it. Your mental attitude about it makes a difference. I thought it was fascinating. I was like, what a cool science experiment am I? I sweat unexpectedly, (laughs) you know? and just laughed at it. It's like, oh, this is a different phase. Renata, I find as I'm getting older, you start seeing people who really have such different physical challenges and physical states. But looking at both of you, like, come on, sisters, well, you look amazing. Well, and you, and you, and you know, like, you, like, listen, age ain't nothing but a number. Listen. When it comes to the two of you. When I went through menopause, my body went nuts. Okay. It went absolutely nuts. First, I gained 12 pounds like that. Oh, wow. In terms of, can we talk about the sex life? Yes. It went in the toilet. I had uh, no desire whatsoever. Um, and during that time. Um, look, Dion's eyes are very big. <laughs> I, you know, I was just like, I'm having hot flashes, I, all kinds. Of, so I go back to my doctor and I'm kind of like, what is going on? And she mm-hmm. was saying to me, oh, you're going through menopause. You just have to eat less and exercise more. And I was like, have you <laughs> met me? So, th- right. so then I realized that during this time, now again, I'm going to be 67. So no one was talking about menopause. And no mm-hmm. one was talking about aging because every time I went to talk to someone about it, it was like, shh, you don't want anybody <laughs> to know that you're aging. So I decided I was going to go against my doctor. I opted to go on hormone replacement therapy. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. was a game changer for me. That's when I made a pivot in my business and says, oh, no. We're going to change this conversation around aging. We're going to talk Mm -hmm. about what women go through when you're 50 plus. We're going to talk about menopause. We're going to give you options. And as a result, your body is going to change. There's no question about it. But you can maintain and come out on the other side and be really happy with the way your body functions. I did have to eat a little bit differently, though. Mm -hmm. I had to change up my diet. 
you know, Dion, you talked about the body making requests. You know, what my body requests definitely changes. Like milk products, sadly, not so good right now. You know, it's like the lactose intolerance thing. I could really keep going deeper and deeper, but I think that I'm just going to leave it with a question that we asked about joy. So we asked our audience, how important is joy in your movement and fitness practice? 50% said top priority, 33% said equal to other factors, and 17% reported it wasn't relevant. (laughs) So Renata, since joy is your last name and Dion, since your company is in joy, what do you think of the joyless worker outers, the 17%? I would say the 17% is joyless because they're trying to force themselves to do something that doesn't feel right for them. Find that thing that brings you joy, that doesn't feel like exercise, and then do that. And then come back on your show and have them tell you how they feel. Yep, yep. I agree with her. I would definitely say, because everything that I'm doing, I absolutely love doing. What I found with some clients recently is dance breaks have been game changing. It's like, I don't want to exercise. Well, you Mm. like going out to dance. You like music, you know, creating your playlist. That is your go-to. Like, what is your jam? What's the song? If you're sitting down, you're like, oh, you know, there's some passion Mm -hmm. to connect you that that song that will pull you out of your chair. Like, oh, you know, everybody's been in a club somewhere where you'd be like, oh, that's my jam, where you're going to (laughs) move your body. Yeah. (laughs) So having that dance break could be game changing for someone that finds no joy in it, because then you'll do it. It's like, oh, I'm going to put on my song. I'm going to play my favorite song three times, and that's going to be a 15-minute workout. And then I might do that twice a day. So it becomes normalized as a part of your life. And I would dare say that the 17%, they may still be searching for themselves and joy in their life because there are periods in your life where you're just not sure who you are, what makes you happy, what doesn't make you happy. Mm. So you need to know yourself well enough to know what makes you happy. And I think Renata has nailed that and I have nailed that. So we share that with our clients and the world because it makes it accessible long-term. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been great. Dion, thank you so much. Thank you. And Renata, thank you so much. Oh, it's a pleasure, Farai. Thank you for having me. That was Renata Joy, entrepreneur and founder of Pure Joy Wellness, and Dion C. Monsanto, Chief Joy Connector and founder of Joyous Ocean. Thanks for listening to Our Body Politic. We're on the air each week and everywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at Our Body Politic. Our Body Politic is produced by Diaspora Farms and Rococo Punch. I'm host and executive producer for Rye Chidea. Nina Spensley is also executive producer. Emily J. Daly is our senior producer. Bridget McAllister is our booking producer. Natina Bean and Emily Ho are our associate producers. Monica Morales-Garcia is our fact checker. This episode was produced by Emily Ho and Mona Hassan. It was engineered by Mike Garth and Mike Gaylor. This program is produced with support from the Luce Foundation, Open Society Foundation, Ford Foundation, Craig Newmark Philanthropies, the Charles and Lynn Schusterman Family Philanthropies, Democracy Fund, the Harnish Foundation, Compton Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, the BME Community, Katie McGrath and J.J. Abrams Family Foundation, the Pop Culture Collaborative, and from generous contributions from listeners like you.